Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Good show tonight. As I was preparing for it this afternoon, the thought occurred to me, it's been a long time since I've had a happy event to discuss. And as we watch the media, television, radio, read the papers, magazines, how many happy events are there for us to discuss today? We seem to be living in a time where it's one crisis after another, one problem after another, one discomfort after another. Uh, I hope it changes soon. Uh, It's sort of depressing. I'm going to start tonight with suicide. See, what could be more depressing? Hurricane Irma is almost a year old. It was September 10th last year when it occurred. It was coming in as a five. Uh, skipped over Key West proper as a one, but 15 miles later turned into a four when it hit Kajo Key. We had a lot of damage. As you know, I wrote a book about this. The only book written on Irma, it was, it's a sad book. It's a happy book. Uh, it's an interesting book. I've got a little bit of everything in there because the hurricane and the people and everyone helping each other, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There was a little bit of everything involved. But anyhow, now we have post-Irma. It's 11 months since Irma occurred. And suicides are up in the lower keys. That's where we are, in the lower keys this year. Over the last five years, the entire keys have averaged 21, the entire keys, the lower keys, have averaged 21 suicides a year. 21 suicides a year. By July of this year, there have already been 20 suicides. Okay? Suicides are on track to double this year for the first time in five or six years. Now, why is this happening? Well, it's because the job of cleaning up, of helping, has not ended. Uh, We still have houses down. We still have houses sitting on somebody else's property. Many of our canals still have boats and houses floating in them upside down. Uh, People are still living in tents, do not have any cash flow, cannot, and if the insurance companies are jerking them around, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I've got to say this about Irma. I thought that the lead-up to the hurricane itself the governor of the state, Governor Scott, a man who I thought was not very good. He's a Republican, too, and I like him. I'm going to tell you now. I think he's a terrific guy. But up to this hurricane, I wasn't impressed with him. The way he handled the lead-up to the hurricane, the preparation during the hurricane, and following the hurricane, terrific. Absolutely terrific. And I've got to say this, too. The federal government was there during the hurricane and afterwards. Why do we still have problems here and people feel there is no hope Are they ever going to get out of this hole they're in? Are they ever going to live normally again? And the reason is everyone's run out of money. The federal government's out of money for this. The state's out of money. And what are you going to do? It's people helping each other down here now. But no one can depend on federal monies or state monies. And that's sad. Now, I'm not saying our government, federal and state, let us down. Because this is the, I live in a place down here off and on for 30 years. I've seen hurricanes. Uh, 
this is the finest job I've ever seen government do for a hurricane, and it was a major hurricane. Uh, society, government keep learns with each hurricane, but we still have not learned enough. There, there comes a time, what do you do when you run out of money? How do you help the people who still need help? We've got to figure that part out. Yesterday, as far as I'm concerned, was a moment of insanity, and it involves Attorney General Sessions. You know, that pipsqueak, I'll call him a pipsqueak. He is a pipsqueak. Uh, he's probably got cotton for balls. i got to say it that way. He announced yesterday that the Attorney General, the Department of Justice, was establishing a religious liberty tank force, a religious liberty task force. I'm sorry, a religious liberty task force. It was going to be a new unit of attorneys, et cetera, within the Attorney General's office, within the Department of Justice, you know, to implement religious liberty legal guidance. I got to use those words, religious liberty legal guidance that was recommended last year by President Trump. You see, as Session said yesterday, the president and he, they're sad because they feel freedom to practice religion is under attack in this country, under attack, quote, unquote. He, he said, Session yesterday, a dangerous movement, real, now challenges and is eroding our great tradition of religious freedom. Somebody's sick here, i got to tell you. They, they put together an organization of men in authority, okay, to make sure we practice religion properly in this country. And what, do they, what do they use as examples justifying it? Remember the nuns, the little sisters or whatever? And after all, the, the contraceptives were being provided to some of the lay female uh, employees of the religious group, and they thought this was wrong, and they had to get rid of the United States Supreme Court to get make sure that didn't happen anymore. Uh, that's a dangerous thing, you know, that something that's being done all over the country, this religious group says it's against my freedom. Fine. They went to the court. The court ruled in their favor. No argument. Here's what bothers him and Donald Trump. Also, United States senators, okay, who asked judicial and executive branch nominees about dogma, about religion. Understand, all nominees to the Supreme Court, all nominees to the Circuit Court of Appeals, all nominees to the executive branch must be approved by a committee and then the full uh, seating of the United States Senate. It is called under the Constitution advice and consent. Well, of course, these senators are going to question, especially the judicial nominees, about their religious beliefs. Religion's before the Supreme Court of the United States all the time now. And Which brings me to the next thing. Remember the Colorado baker who didn't want to bake or cook a special cake for us, the marriage of a same-sex couple? That's a religious issue. Uh, you've got to question these fellows, these nominees, whether they're male or female, because once you put someone on the Supreme Court, they're there for life. And when you start putting people in their 40s and 50s on, they got 30 years to sit on that bench, and they control the law of this land finally for all that time. Uh, we got to take care of these people because these people are bad people. Uh, the Trump administration is actively seeking 
to accommodate people of faith. That's what Session said. The Trump administration is actually seeking to accommodate people of faith. Now, this is the, the people of faith are the evangelicals. They're the ones who support Trump. And he's sucking up to them. He wants to do what's right. He's got to keep his nose out of religion. Religion and government are separate entities. They do not belong together. And just because the evangelicals say, hey, we should be involved in government and have a say, and even the Catholic Church now through the uh, organization of bishops out of, the, out of uh, Denver, the United States Conference of Bishops, doesn't make it right. Religion and government are separate entities. They are like water and oil. They do not mix. Now, I think, why is all this happening now? Okay, well, you got a big problem in this country uh, with the LGBT people, you know, the transgenders, the gays, the homosexuals, and we've got to protect the religious zealots, okay, who are being attacked by these organizations. Not that the, the zealot, it's not that the homosexuals the homosexuals are attacking the good people of this country with their beliefs and everything else, and that's wrong. So we've got to have someone to watch out for this. They're making your sex become involved with religion. Not everyone reads the Bible. <laughs> there are other religious books. There are no religious books, and some people don't even believe in God. And the other thing is, uh, the whole purpose of this, I believe, is to push for a marriage, a marriage of church and state. That's exactly what it is. It sounds far-fetched. A marriage of church and state on the altar of Christianity. How dramatic, but it's true. So we got a problem here, my friends. Uh, we are putting together a governmental organization, power to arrest, etc., etc., and they're going to watch how we practice religion now. Because if your religion, your religious thoughts are not the same as the Trump administration's, the evangelicals, well, they're going to do something to you, or to me perhaps. Maybe we're going to get arrested. Maybe we're going to go to jail. This is where this country's going. Wake up, America. We are sliding into an abyss. This that I'm about to relate to you is probably the saddest thing I have confronted in the last couple of years, and you will probably find it the same. As you know, there are fires galore going on in California. They're hard to control. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of a California man who talked to his wife and two great-grandchildren before they died in a fire. His name is Ed Bledsoe, B-L-E-D-S-O-E, 70 years old, lives in Shasta County, California, uh, with his wife, Melody, 70 years old, and two great-grandchildren. They are raising their great-grandchildren, four-year-old Emily, five-year-old James. The fire was not a problem. This happened Thursday that I'm sharing with you. The fire was not a problem. The fire wasn't even close to their house where they lived or to their neighbor's homes. He had a doctor's appointment, Ed. so he drove into town, and he's sitting in the doctor's office, and he gets a telephone call from his wife, okay? I can see the fire. It's coming. There was no fire around before. There was no smoke, no smell of fire, no evacuation order given. No one told him to get the hell out of their houses. 
No one expected. The fire turned. It was fickle. It turned. It's called the car fire, C-A-R-R, this one. Anyhow, he hopped in his truck. He drove as far as he could. Then he ran as far as he could. Then he grabbed somebody else's car and drove as far as he could. Then he ran as far as he could. He got close, but not close enough. And the final seconds of the lives of his wife and two great children were spent by him on the cell phone that his wife had with them. And here, word for word, is their conversation in the last few seconds. Five-year-old grandson James, Grandpa, come and get me. The fire is coming in the back door. Grandpa, I'm right down the road. Granddaughter, four-year-old Emily, I love you, Grandpa. Grandma, Grandma Melody, wife Melody, I love you. Come and get us. Grandpa, I'm on the way. He spent the last five seconds talking to his grandson, James, before the fire killed all three of them. Uh, Horrible. Just a horrible story. Uh, Why am I sharing it with you? Because it hasn't been shared in many other places. Uh, The medium hasn't really picked up on it. I caught maybe 15 seconds this morning on some new show on television. They said that this family died, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it was them, though they didn't give the facts. You know, it's easy. We talk about these fires, but you can't appreciate the fire unless you have experienced the fire. You can't appreciate a hurricane. You can't appreciate Irma unless you experienced it. You can't appreciate Maria and what it did to the people in Puerto Rico and how they're still suffering unless you're there, nor the people who are still here in the lower keys uh, that are living in tents, you know, and they, they get their, food, their water out of a bucket. They don't have jobs. Uh, it's horrible, but we, we, we can't appreciate it because unless you're there and you see it or you got a close, somehow you're close to it, you don't get the feeling. And I just thought, this bothered me terribly. i got to tell you, when I, even now I'm choked up. I cried the first time I read this. Uh, this is horrible. We all have grandkids. That, you know, I'm called Grandpa. It kills me, <laughs> okay? And I'm sure it kills you. Just wanted to share. Okay, I want to compliment President Trump. Yes, Lewis will compliment Donald Trump. When he deserves it, he should be complimented. Uh and here's the story with Donald. Uh, he got us up. He got the GDP up to 4.1%. Now, that's pretty big. I'm going to tell you something. I'm impressed with that number, very impressed with that number. That's The last time it was over four was in 19, I think, what was it, 19, uh, let's see, 4, 4, 4, 2014, 2014, I believe was the last time. The highest since 2014, okay? Now, what have I got to say about it? I I compliment the man. It's very impressive. I don't buy the number, though. What can I tell you? There's an inconsistency in what I'm telling you. I'm impressed by the number, but I don't buy it, and here's why. Numbers are easy to fudge, to make them say what you want, to come out with a conclusion that you seek. Now, I'm not saying Donald Trumpers people fudge these numbers. I'll tell you this, I believe every president in the modern era, down to Roosevelt, fudged these numbers to make them look good. Now, they can't fudge them that much. I'm sure Trump's numbers were good, but they may be a couple of points higher, and they should be. I don't know whether they're legitimate or not. That's all I can tell you. 
Uh, also, I doubt we're going to see another four <laughs> the rest of this year. This is a second quarter figure by the quarters that come out with this G- these GDP numbers because this quarter really has not yet felt the recent quarter that came out 4.1, the effect of the tariff wars. These tariff wars are going to have a hell of an impact uh, on our economy. It's going They're going to bring destruction on our economy, not only ours, but the rest of the world. And I have predicted, and I continue to say it, if the tariff wars continue, by this time next year we will be into a recession, and so will the rest of the world. Now, that being said, our president also said when the GDP was announced at 4.1, 3.7 million new jobs in the last year, the greatest ever. Well, let me make, I, I, that's an impressive number again, but let me make a slight correction because he has a way of exaggerating and doesn't quite tell the truth all the time. Uh, the number is misleading. You have to t- he's been in office 19 months. The 3.7 million is not for the last year. It's for 19 months. And I say I'm nitpicking. I am, but follow me, and you won't think I am. He has created 3.7 million new jobs since he took office in 19 months. Excellent, but not the biggest ever. Because if you take the 19 months before he took office, the 19 months before he took office, 4.3 million new jobs were added. And so be it. Now, this this situation with the children, parents, children taken from parents, don't know where, what, over a thousand kids are out there and we don't know where their parents are? How are you going to bring them back together? I I, I don't understand how this happened. I mean, our government is a bureaucracy. Uh, They're pencil pushers. Uh, they're number people, numbers people, as I just indicated. Someone had to keep accurate records when you separated these people. And they didn't, and their judge is trying to put it together. He's got a hell of a job. Anyhow, let me tell you about a 15-year-old girl from Honduras. Homestead, Florida, is just beyond the northern end of the Florida Keys. The Florida Keys run from Key Largo on the north to Key West on the south. The next major city, if you can call that, but it's not really a major city, is Homestead. After you go through Key Largo heading towards Miami, Homestead's the largest community between Miami and Key Largo, okay? And in Homestead, they have the Homestead Shelter for Unaccompanied Children. The Homestead Shelter for Unaccompanied Children. It's a detention center for the children of immigrants that they don't know where the hell they got to go, okay? Who they belong to. A 15-year-old Honduran girl got away. She escaped. Sounds like her escaping from a concentration camp. They escaped. and She escaped. She ran five miles down the streets of Homestead. And into a large garage, a uh, car garage, 14 bays, big spot, and threw herself in the corner behind some uh, batteries or something they had, had. They were being stored. And she cried, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. The owner came over of, of the garage. He tried talking to her. Everyone was nice to her. There's a huge crowd, you have to understand. People are talking to her. Everyone is very nice to her. All she knows is, 
Don't let them take me. Don't send me back. I can't take it. I don't want to go back. She was in obvious fear. She ended up begging these people. This is how it was reported. She was begging not to be taken back. Uh, the garage owner, what the hell do you do? He did the right thing. He called the police. The police came. What are they going to do? They called the detention center. And they came and they took the girl back. Now, I think these detention centers, the way Trump handled this whole thing in session, separating parents from children, is evil. It's the evil that men do. This is a perfect example. In any event, this girl's been taken back. Now, I worry about this. And I hope somebody other people are worrying about it. And I, I've got to believe there is with all these ACLU attorneys and everyone else involved trying to protect the rights of these children. Because all I could think of when I became aware of this situation, think about the blacks that escaped before the Southern War, before the Civil War, rather, down, the, down in the South, when they were taken back. What happened to them? What about those who escaped from Hitler's concentration camps, the Jews especially who escaped from Hitler's concentration camps? When they were returned, what happened to them? I'm not saying they got killed. I'm not saying they got beat up. I don't know what the hell happened, but it can't be good. And this girl was afraid, and she's begging not to go back. And we continue to permit this to happen here. Uh, someone commented when I wrote about this in my blog this week, said, after all, the parents broke the law. The children must suffer. How cruel! Oh, my God, how cruel! How sick. Right, now I want to talk about the tariff wars. I, my watering hole, a place I'd like to frequent most evenings to have a couple of drinks with friends down here, and people from all over the world who come through the chart room bar, is the chart room in the Pier House. I believe it is the crossroads of the world. I meet people from everywhere, Asia, Europe, South America, Central America, Canada, Mexico, and Americans from all the states, and we talk about everything. I, I have found in the years I go there, and I have a little notebook I carry with me, and I ask people if I can make notes and refer to what they said the next day in my, in my blog, and all but one have, have said yes. Uh, all but one was not, were not concerned. They were happy to share their thoughts. Well, this past week, I ran into an Arkansas farmer and his wife. He farms rice and soybeans in the Arkansas Delta. Okay? So I said, can I talk to you about this? Because how, how are the tariff wars affecting you? He says, now this fellow, by the way, he's not an ass. He's intelligent. He's sufficiently intelligent that he's president of his farm bureau or whatever is down in his area. He knows what's going on. He said, now this is a man also, you don't talk profit, you talk cash flow, he told me, when you, when you are uh, talking uh, rice and soybeans, etc., and corn. He says his cash flow, he and his two, uh, two relatives run the farm. They're third generation, by the way, college educated. They know what the hell they're doing. They do $3 million cash flow a year, and three families live well off of it. Uh, he said in the past two months, his cash flow for rice and soybeans is off 50%. Can 
you imagine your cash flow being off 50%? If you have a business, it kills you. If you have a salary you're taking home, let's say your salary is $1,000 a week, and all of a sudden you only get $500 a week, you're going to be hurting big time. And that's what's happening. And he doesn't expect it to get better. I said, you know, I see a lot of people on television, and there's farmers from the West and the South, and they're saying, it's a war, and we've got to support the president. These are states that went for him. Uh, we've got to support the president. I know he'll take care of us in the end. Well, he's had $12 billion that was already sitting aside in some farm account that he's going to put up. Uh, to help ease their burden. He's going to subsidize them. This is wealth for farmers, welfare, welfare for farmers. They don't care about that. They just want to keep doing what they were doing. And what's funny, uh, one of these Farm Bureau people uh, said, what was $12 billion? We're already $13 billion in debt. <laughs> We've already lost $13 billion. And every day gets bigger and bigger, and there's only $12 billion there. Anyhow, he says, I he never thought this would happen. He can't understand why the president initiated these programs, why he started this. He says the only way to correct the problem, remove the tariffs. Everybody go back to where they were. Then you don't need $12 billion or any more of welfare monies from the federal government. Then we can all go back to living normally, okay? Uh, see, our dear president, our dear president, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, he does something and does not realize there are repercussions that which are which are negative. Just about everything he's done, there's been negative repercussions. He went to he went and visited Kim in Singapore, North Korea. He was in North Korea. He went to Singapore and China, but uh, to visit Kim from North Korea, walked away and says, "We have a denuclearization deal." Bullshit! Look what's happened in the six or seven weeks since that meeting. One building came down that wasn't being used by the North Koreans. They're still making nuclear, uh, whatever you make for nuclear bombs and everything else. They're advancing their missile construction. And this was Donald Trump who walked away and said, see, peace in our life. It reminds me of Chamberlain when he came back from Munich and he had a piece of paper in his hand as he got off the plane. And he said, I visited with Hitler. We have peace in our lifetime. It didn't work. Uh, everything this guy does doesn't work, and it's nothing but we're in trouble all the time. Uh, what else can I tell you? We are in trouble all the time. want to talk about inflation. Trump's worried we're going to have some inflation, so is the Federal Reserve, so they're going to up uh, interest rates a bit to control it. He says he doesn't like it. The only problem is he doesn't like it as a businessman. He has no understanding of how inflation has to be controlled. Otherwise, it destroys a nation. Now, I just advise that, and I put it on the side. But I want to tell you about real inflation. Venezuela and its president, Maduro. I have been following Maduro in Venezuela for almost six years since he took office for the first time. He has totally destroyed this nation. They've been out of food I don't know how long. They ate their pets. They ate this grass off of the ground. They, they went into the zoos and killed and ate the animals. The babies and families had been trained to eat every other day, to skip meals for one whole day. There's not enough food and there's no money. Things are terrible. And I've said this before, and I say it now, why these people have not revolted, I do not understand. They protest in the streets to the thousands, but they never 
go to take this guy down because he's screwing him first class. Anyhow, let's talk about inflation. Inflation. Up until Venezuela's time in Maduro, the highest inflation in the world was during the Weimar Republic in Germany. This is about the time Hitler started growing and taking over. And at that time, this is what gave, by the way, uh, Hitler the opportunity to take over Germany. Inflation was 29,500%. Wow. <laughs> I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh. This is sad. The inflation today in Venezuela, the past year, inflation is 60,000. 60,000%. So you understand what all this means. One cup of coffee, Cafe Con Leach, costs over one million bolivar. That says it all. Uh, Putin wants, uh, not Putin, Trump wants Putin in the White House. Now, I guess he isn't coming, but Putin says you come to Russia, whatever's going on. Putin's out, Trump's out of his mind. He's letting the fox in the hen house. It's like, you know, like letting a pedophile in the house with your children. Can't do that. This guy has been our enemy, is making an ass out of him all over the world, and going to continue to make an ass out of him. Before we're done, Iran's going to make an ass out of him, too, because the man is incompetent. Wake up, America. He's a pied pup. Piper improperly leading us by the nose. Anyhow, that's the show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I enjoy sharing with you. And again, I got to say it, the numbers, I can't believe it. Every week the numbers go up, so you people must be telling your friends, listen to Key West Lou. I don't know. Whatever's happening, I love. Uh, I'm doing a three- or four-minute show every morning now on Facebook, Key West Lou Live. Key West Lou Live. I talk about one issue like I talk about several here. You may enjoy it. It's on there all day. You can hit it any time. Uh, please take a look at it, Key West Lou Live. That's the show for tonight. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to being with you again next week.